Neil Hodge, you are a travel media rep for Tourism New Brunswick. First of all, I want to thank you so much for taking the time today to join me on the Fact Up podcast, good sir. Oh, thanks for having me aboard, Jim. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, and I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to uh, your audience and and talk about New Brunswick. We are privileged to have you, good sir. Uh, you spent 30 years in the journalism world, uh, covering everything from sports to business. Why did you leave the journalism industry to move into the travel world and deal with people like me full time? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> it kind of uh, happened. Uh, it really morphed into it by accident, to be honest with you. I was a, I was a journalist for a newspaper journalist for 33 years. I, as you said, I wrote sports, travel and business stories. Probably the, the final 15 years of my career, I focused a lot on travel writing and it became a real passion for me. And I loved journalism, loved everything about being in the media. I, think, I still think it's one of the greatest professions in the world and uh, loved every minute of it. Was never was never looking to get out of the media. But uh, then when this job opportunity came up with the tourism, New Brunswick and to work for the for the provincial government and as the travel media representative, you know, travel and sports are two of my big passions. And I spent a lot of my life working as a sports writer. And now I get then I get to work as a travel writer and now. It became natural uh, progression to work. I used to be the travel writer calling tours in New Brunswick, looking to pick their brain for uh, story ideas and contact information. And now I'm the guy who's helping field the field the requests. So I still get to work in the travel media or with the media and in the travel industry. So it was just natural progression, to be honest. Wow, what a transition, right? It, it doesn't seem like a big transition, but I mean, for someone who's looking for a change, uh, including, you know, especially post-pandemic, pivoting has become that that catchphrase, right? It's yeah. the ability for you to pivot from one end of media to the other, right? Exactly. It was it was a change in career, but it wasn't like a big change because I was a journalist for a long time. I knew the media game. I now I still get to to deal with the media on in intimately on an everyday basis. I understand the way the media thinks. I have a solid idea of generally speaking of what what the media would think is an exciting story and what they think would be a snooze and uh it's so just knowing the way media thinks and what they're looking for and and i understand the pressures and frustrations and time deadlines challenges and things like that that journalists dealt with because i dealt with it so now having an understanding the types of frustrations or challenges that journalists face and sometimes red tape that they go through to do stories i try to eliminate the things that i didn't like when i was a journalist right you know, we should just preface, it's travel media. We're not generalizing here with media. We're not covering politics. We're not trying to upset anybody. We're not trying to divide anybody. We're trying to really unite people with travel experiences, the people behind them. So for those listening in the car, driving on the highway, listening to this podcast or viewing us, um, just preface, right? It's travel media. Yeah. Relax. <laughs> you know what, right? Jim? I'm so glad that you brought that up because you know what? I feel so blessed that in my 33 years in journalism that I worked in the travel media and the sports media. They're so different. Those are the two areas of the media. Let's let's be honest here. Not everybody's always gracious to the media. Sometimes the media doesn't doesn't deserve to be treated graciously either. Um, a lot of people are not answering your phone calls when you're in the media, depending on the type of you know the aspect what aspect of the media you're working in people aren't always anxious to deal with the media talk to the media there's some distrust of the media out there and people are often looking to dodge the media in sports and in travel media people are ready to welcome you with open arms it's positive it's it's positive that's the thing i really like to stress it's you know 
nobody's going to go to write write a story about a destination to say the place is terrible don't go there people are looking to write positive stories and i think that's what's so invigorating about travel travel media is is i'm just repeating myself but but it is so uh, it is uplifting material right and you don't mind taking it home with you because it is positive totally and right. i work after hours all kinds of strange hours because it really doesn't feel like work to be honest right. with you exactly well, during the pandemic, the idea, you know, throughout Canada and, and amongst many, many Canadians, millions, you know, across the country, the staycation, staycation, staycation. Have you found that to be the case now as we move post COVID or have they just decided to make New Brunswick their new home once they visited? <laughs> yeah, well, we've had both. I would say two things. First of all, a lot of New Brunswickers who and I don't know if New Brunswickers are any different than people from other provinces where you sometimes underestimate your own backyard. But I think New Brunswickers for a long time felt that they had to travel to whether it's other maritime provinces or into the U.S. or Quebec, on Ontario, and go other places. And there's certainly nothing wrong with going other places. That's tremendous. But I think they underestimated what they had in their own backyard in New Brunswick. And then when the pandemic hit, they were forced to stay within the boundaries of their own province. And I think they discovered either places that they had heard about before but had never been to, or they just discovered places that they'd never heard of at all. So there was that aspect of New Brunswickers discovering their own province. And then there's other, we had a large influx of people from other provinces um, moving here. Land, land was cheaper than other parts of Canada. Housing was much cheaper than other parts of Canada. You know, people were able to work remotely. Maybe somebody had a job in Ontario or Alberta, anywhere. And if it was a type of job that could be done remotely, it didn't matter what type of pro where, they, where they were actually living. So cost of living, housing and everything else. Uh, we did have a, our population did go up. We just went over the 800,000 mark uh, in population in New Brunswick in 2022. So that's the highest ever for wow. New Brunswick. So yeah. that's what, three, three or four streets in Toronto? Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> that's about, uh, that's one neighborhood. <laughs> easy yeah yeah it's it's a it's amazing because there's i feel like what you said earlier it um it, it it's a it's a case of that can't possibly be that close to my house so yeah. i'm gonna go and find some more exciting things further away yeah right and once you have the time it's oh right it's only an hour away or it's only a couple of hours away and i really didn't have to do much to get there and wow yeah. what an experience i had exactly and right. i had so many i've met so many people I have so many friends and I tell them about different parts in New Brunswick and they say, I heard about that place, but I've never been. There. I should go there someday. And I'm thinking it's only an hour and a half, two hours away. It's uh, I mean, you can drive one end of New Brunswick to the other in five hours. Right. So nothing's too far away. Right. And on a bad day, that's how long it takes to get across Toronto. So, I mean, <laughs> priorities, right? Well, speaking of those experiences, Neil, New Brunswick is home to the warmest ocean waters north of the Carolinas. Yeah. Yes. I'll say that again the warmest ocean waters north of the Carolinas, okay? Yeah. Uh, it's also home to the highest tides on Earth. Talk about the adventures to be had in your corner of Canada, just to give listeners and viewers uh, a, an idea of what's waiting for them in New Brunswick. Sure. So, Jim, I would say the one thing I always say to people who've never been to New Brunswick, I would always say that I start off by saying that, you know, New Brunswick is, is well known for three things. With more than three things, but if I was going to narrow it down to three things and had to put it in one all-encompassing sentence, I would say New Brunswick is known for lobster and all seafood, the Bay of Fundy with the highest tides in the world, and huge untouched wilderness. 
New Brunswick is 85% forested and we have a lot of inland waterways. We have 5,500 kilometers of coastline. So the fact that we have 5,500 kilometers of, of coastline and we're 85% forested gives you a real solid indication that we're all about outdoor adventure um, above and beyond everything else. Yes, we have history and culture and arts and, you know, all those types of things. And, but I would have to say that on the tourism front, the thing that really drives people to New Brunswick is, is great outdoor adventures. And that's everything from kayaking, canoeing, fishing, beachcombing, beach fossil tours, um, cycling, hiking. Uh, we have tremendous hiking trails, like multi-day hiking trails where you're sleeping on the ocean beaches along the way. Uh, I mean, there's adventures in all corners of the province, uh, outdoors, there's mountain climbing. There's, uh, we're part of the, we have the Appalachian Mountain Range in Northern New Brunswick. So, and the highest point in the Maritimes is, is a Mount Carlton in New Brunswick. So we have a lot of, if you're into nature and, and outdoor adventure and you like the wilderness, we like to think in New Brunswick that we're really well positioned in a post-pandemic world where people will, we think will uh, place greater importance than ever before on uh, space, being in nature, peace and quiet. And we have so many uh, experiences on or near the water. And we like to talk in New Brunswick about the uh, mental and physical therapeutic effects of being on or near the water. So mm -hmm. we have a saying here that uh, blue is the new green. <laughs> <laughs> right. I believe it. And one more stat that I want you to, to point out to people with those highest tides on earth along the Bay of Fundy. Um, how does the Bay of Fundy connect with the Grand Canyon? Okay. So when I tell people that uh, when, when we talk about the highest tides in the world at the Bay of Fundy, to try to put it in perspective, you know, I could tell people that the tides can raise the sea level 56 feet from low to high tide. And that's impressive, but I'm not sure that truly registers with people. I can tell them that there's 180 billion gallons of metric metric tons of water comes into the Bay of Fundy with every tide change, but I don't know that who know who knows what 180 billion tons of water looks like. I don't. <laughs> but here here's some talking points stuff to try to put it in perspective. With every tide change, so there's two tide changes a day in the Bay of Fundy. With every tide change in the Bay of Fundy, there's enough water that comes in to fill the Grand Canyon twice. So in other words, we could fill the Grand Canyon four times a day. Um, Another one, your, your uh, audience wow. in Ontario will appreciate this one perhaps even more, is with every tide change in the Bay of Fundy, the amount of water that comes in is equal to the amount of water that flows over Niagara Falls, Canada, U.S. sides combined in one year and nine months. <laughs> so that's, an, that's another way to put it. Wow. Yeah. It is a sight to see. And yeah, the, uh, for those who are looking to make New Brunswick their next destination, uh, stay a while, take a look. Uh, it, it, was, it is amazing and it will amaze you. But, you know, I love the natural wonders, of course, but I'm also super fascinated with the historical and cultural attractions as well. Talk about culture, um, you know, front and center in New Brunswick, including, of course, Acadian history and the indigenous experiences as well. I'll speak to the Acadian history, first of all. One, one fact that I always like to point out about New Brunswick is that New Brunswick is Canada's only officially bilingual province. Um, more than 30% of the province are French people. Um, a greater percentage of people than that in the province speak both languages. Um, you know, government literature is in both languages. Road signs, all road signs are both languages. 
Um, you can go into some parts of the province and road signs are in three languages, indigenous language, English and French. Um, you know, our Acadian history, I mean, let's go back to 1755. That's when the Acadian expulsion took place and the Acadians were expelled from the Maritimes and they ended up going to Quebec, to, to the Magdalen Islands. They ended up going to the New England states, Louisiana. Then years later, they came back. And today, French and English people live very peacefully in New Brunswick. Um, you know, in, in terms of uh, French experiences in the province, there's all kinds of French, in the little French communities, you'll get Acadian food, Acadian, uh, you know, plays and uh, think live Acadian uh, theater experiences and food and beverage experiences. Um, in terms of indigenous, we have many, we have several indigenous cultures in New Brunswick. You can actually, and you know, pe non-indigenous people are certainly welcome to go on to these, into these indigenous communities and do indigenous tourism experiences. You can go salmon fishing, you can go a kayak experience with a guide and go past national historic sites. I was a kayaking in an indigenous community probably two months ago and I was deep into the wilderness and with a guide and uh, looked up and there was two moose swimming across the river right in front of me. It's pretty a pretty special moment. You know, of all and, the road uh, tripping that I've done with my partner over the past five years on and off, obviously because of COVID, we've seen a total of zero moose, zero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Teach me. <laughs> yeah. You know what's really neat is that you can go into these indigenous communities. You can you can sleep in a teepee if you want. You can sleep in one of their log lodges if you want in a wigwam. You can ex do the campfire experience at nighttime with traditions and customs around the campfire. Story native native story indigenous storytelling. Um, you can indigenous food experience, indigenous craft experience, all kinds of different things. And one of the things that I always like to stress about our Indigenous tourism experiences in New Brunswick, it's not, it's not just about going, doing the experience and having some fun and then getting a t-shirt and leaving. Um, our, our Indigenous tourism operators will be the first to tell you that a large part of their mandate is to use these Indigenous tourism experiences as a, as a bridge, as a, as, a, as a means to bridge Indigenous and non-Indigenous cultures. They want white people to feel free to go in there and feel it's a safe place where they can ask questions about the indigenous culture. Maybe there's things that certain white people just don't understand, misunderstandings. So it's a, it's a safe place where they don't have to worry if they happen to use the wrong word uh, by mistake that might not be considered politically correct. They'll explain to the person why that word is not politically correct, but they won't be judged. So it, they want their community to be a safe place where not, where non-indigenous people can go ask questions and uh that's that's amazing and it's for me that the word that comes to mind is immersive right and yeah. and communicative that's that's step number one where it um if there's any sort of trepidation at least some at least people who may have questions aren't afraid to ask those questions exactly and at the same time they won't be judged for asking those questions but at the same time the idea is to unite not to divide yeah and to be immersive and to to um you know uh, uh absorb the experience as opposed to go in there and like you said buy a shirt and leave yeah just sit down put the phone away listen learn uh it, the immersiveness uh really kind of captivates me the most yeah and the other point i'd just like to finish off by saying on that note is and it goes both ways the indigenous people will say hey there's things about white culture that we don't understand so they will use the opportunity to ask you questions about your culture and compare notes and how you you might both view the same thing in different ways and 
and you learn from each other. So it's a, it's a two-way street. You ask questions about them, but they will also ask questions about the visitors. It's amazing how we're all different, but we're all the same at the same time. And we may not know enough about each other. And that gives people the opportunity to, to, to do that. Totally. Right. And that's, that's the whole point. That's travel in a nutshell, but that's yeah. also being a human being. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's human being. Yeah. Well, let's talk culinary, Neil, for the foodies. Uh, you know, what should visitors be eating in order to make the most out of the New Brunswick flavors? Well, I guess if you were going to come to New Brunswick, you'd have to start with seafood. Of course. Um, yeah, New Brunswick is the is the second largest exporter of live lobster in the world, and the and the largest exporter of canned lobster in the world. So, wow. lobster and all seafood. I mean, and you can get that in all corners of the province, really. Um, right. Right. And there's all kinds of different seafood recipes and uh, things of that nature. So, there's there's seafood restaurants, especially in the little uh, fishing communities. And there's a lot of there's a lot of really pretty, quaint, authentic fishing villages where you can go and get seafood chatter or lobster chatter or lobster roll or you know virtually any kind of fish or any kind of seafood dinner that you want and you can get there's lots of places you can go right to the wharf and buy it from the fishermen that are coming right off the wharf and get that lobster off the wharf and just sit at the end of the wharf and uh and eat it right there sushi sushi lobster lobster yeah, sushi go. Right. Yeah. But talk about the variations, because you also have Acadian in there. You have you have traditional you have. Of course, you have seafood. But for those who are looking beyond seafood, if maybe they're allergic yeah. to shellfish or they don't sure. like seafood altogether. What else you got going on? Sure. So you can go up if you went up into the Acadian Peninsula, which is, you know, 99 percent uh, French Acadian population. I mean, they, they you'll eat a lot of tradi traditional Acadian food. A lot of that's like meat and potato based. Uh, it's, it's dumplings. It's uh, different types of soups. Uh it's it's vegetables it's it's carrots it's uh but it's done up in a little in a different way and the french have their have their flair for cooking everybody knows and uh <laughs> and our acadian population they certainly uh you know they take a lot of pride in in their presentation and the quality of their of their food and some of the unique recipes that they that they have what i like a lot i should say about our food food scene in new brunswick is that it's the it's not just the food itself, but it's the culinary experience. For for example, in St. Martin's, you can go and there's there's a program there called Savor the Caves, and you go in a small guided tour, and you leave around five o'clock at night on a from a little fishing harbor. You paddle out of the fishing harbor across the bay and down the Bay of Fundy coast, and you go by all these little treasure beaches along the way, and you'll you'll your group led by the guide you'll pull into a little hidden treasure beach that you can only really access by uh, by kayak and you'll beach your boats and you'll have a five course meal on the beach and they will repel repel over the cliffs the chef the food the drinks the storyteller the uh, you know all the all the everything the picnic tables the cutlery everything will get repelled over the cliffs as, as you're standing on the beach watching it they're coming down these steep cliffs they set up everything on the ocean floor it's at low tide on the ocean floor in a little treasure beach and you have about three hours to have this five course meal it's a beautiful five course meal and you have three hours you'll have a story you'll be entertained by a storyteller and then then after three hours you paddle out on your boat and they're repelling everything up over the cliffs and getting everything up <laughs> once the tide comes in that beach disappears. Wow. So that's a really unique culinary experience. I'll tell you about another one. Um, there's something called the uh, ballet by the ocean. Whether you're a person that likes ballet or knows ballet or enjoys ballet, 
it doesn't matter. What's really cool about this is there's a 43 acre property on the ocean and there's a lady that that owns a uh, professional ballet school in Moncton and it's a it's a ballet school that tours the world putting on shows it's a prof professional ballet mm -hmm. school touring company and she owns this 43 acre property on the ocean and it's a protected wetland so there's all kinds of different species of birds and wildlife in the area and they set up a stage next to the beach and they do a live professional ballet show on next next to the beach people will be fed a five course meal with a wine pairing uh, while they watch this professional ballet show in back of the stage, you'll see the you'll you'll see and hear the waves rolling in behind the stage. You'll see eagles and different types of wildlife flying overhead during the show. You're sitting on the beach. You're watching the show. It's a magical setting. Um, yeah, and it's and all the food is prepared by a New Brunswick. It's all prepared by a New Brunswick chef. It's uh, it's uh, all locally sourced food. Lo local local uh, recipes so that's those are just a couple of uh, I could I could go on for half an hour about different um, culinary experiences those are the two of them there's another one where you you can have a five course meal in the middle of a blooming lavender field so just those are just a little excuse the pun a small taste of what you could have in terms of food and culinary experiences in my in my province we could talk about that for another half an hour, but I'd rather people go there and experience that for themselves. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and so would you, right? Yeah. What's the most common thing you hear from visitors to, to New Brunswick who visit for the first time? Uh, I would probably say that, why didn't, why didn't I come here before? <laughs> uh, right. Why didn't I come here before? Um, in the past, I traveled through New Brunswick to get to Nova Scotia or to go to PEI. I never thought about stopping in New Brunswick on the way. Um, hmm. We're trying to make New Brunswick the drive, the drive to province, not the drive through province. And uh, we believe if, if you just stay on the Trans-Canada Highway and you just drive through the trees the whole way, you won't know any different. But if you get off the Trans-Canada and you go into the cities and you go into the towns and, and visit the place, people will be amazed and people are surprised that for a small province uh how much there is to see and do but rapid fire uh neil 10 10 questions with neil hodge there's absolutely <laughs> no pressure don't worry uh, we're <laughs> okay. not on a timer but uh you know do, do your best okay okay <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned it already 85 percent of new brunswick is forested where's the best place to see the fall colors Ooh. So I would say the Fundy Trail Parkway is one great place if you just want to see the forest and the leaves. If you want to divert and you can go up to Misku Island, which is in the northeastern corner of the province. If you want to see the fall colors from a totally different perspective, go to Misku Island in October and you'll see the peat, peat bogs. And uh, most people think fall colors, they think strictly trees. I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting they go to Misku Island and think about peat bogs and you'll, they'll see the most amazing color of red bright red that darts out of the landscape two-thirds of the island is a, is a peat bog and it's bright red yellow orange and there's boardwalks that meander through and you just it's beautiful preferred experience kayaking at the hopewell rocks or eating fresh lobster on the shediac lobster tails cruise Ooh, tough question <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna go with the uh, Kayak, they're both great. Gee, yeah, I know, uh, right? <laughs> I'm gonna go with sea kayaking at Hopewell Rocks just because okay. I can eat. I can eat lobster 
in a lot of parts of New Brunswick, but there's only one place where you can go see kayaking at Hopewell Rocks and paddle the highest tides in the world. Indeed. What's one place in the world that made an emotional impact on you? I would say uh, I like Panama a lot. I've been there three times and uh, yeah, I've, I've been to 27 countries and Panama is one that really, um, you know, a lot of places have impressed me. Panama impressed me. I remember getting going through the airport and having my passport stamped and then them giving me a plastic card, looked like a credit card and it was a hospital card. It was good for 30 days. Anything that happened to you that's not a pre-existing condition, they would uh, handle the medical costs and it's a world-class uh, hospital there in Panama City. Wow. So if you broke your leg or something like that, something that's not pre-existing, if you had no previous uh, heart problems and you took a heart attack, they'll take care of your bill. Wow. Yeah. I so, had no idea. Yeah, and it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful country. It's pretty safe. Uh, obviously, the weather's terrific. Uh, people right. are friendly. I just thought it was, I thought that was a really progressive country. You know, it's the country that's best off economically in Central America Amazing. as well. So, yeah. What irritates you the most about travel? Um, probably waiting in airport lines that don't move. <laughs> so you've been to Pearson Airport in Toronto lately. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't, but I've heard. <laughs> What's the one thing you do to immerse yourself in a moment while you're abroad? I always try to have genuine conversations with local people. And if the opportunity is ever there, have a meal with them. And uh, whether that's inviting them to a restaurant where I'm going to be or or it's happened to me before where I've, I've had locals invite me back to their home in certain countries. And, uh, and that's, so yeah, those, those are always authentic moments where you can really, whether it's a meal or just do some kind of an activity with a local person, maybe I'm going, maybe I'm in uh, Portugal and I'm going deep sea fishing. If maybe I'll invite a local person to come with me right. and while we're fishing, I'll be learning about their country from them. I'll, I'll pay for the fishing trip. Right. Yeah. You're a career journalist. What is your favorite word? My favorite word. Ooh, explore. Ooh, that's a good one. I like explore a lot. Well done, sir. Well done. What does travel mean to you? Oh, if I, the first word that comes to my mind when I hear travel, if you play the word game, would mm -hmm. be education. Because um, to me, travel is all about education. For me, a trip without learning would be a wasted trip. Um, every trip I've done, I've learned a tremendous amount about the other language, about the people, the culture, the tr customs, traditions, the history of the country, uh, the outlook of the people, maybe sometimes the way those people perceive Canada <laughs> or right. perceive North America, depending on where I am. Right. So, yeah. You've got the middle seat on a flight. Who do you want sitting on either end of you? Living or Ooh. dead? Oh, well. Ooh, so many choices. I like your questions. <laughs> Tough. Okay. I'm going to say, I would say Ken Dryden. Oh, wow. Okay. Former Montreal Canadiens goaltender. He was my hero when I was a kid. Yep. Embarrassed to tell you this, but when I was a kid, he wore 29. I used to set my alarm clock for 729 in the morning. I had oh, to be wow. out of bed before it changed to 730 for it to be a good luck day. Oh, wow. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, that'd be, that would be good one thing person. He had a, good thing he had a number on the clock for you. Yeah, yeah. I should be embarrassed <laughs> to tell that story, but anyway. Good thing you didn't uh, wear like 71. Yeah, 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 exactly. <clears throat> the other person, let me see. Well, 
Yeah, that's a good question. There's so many choices out there. I'd say Nelson, Nelson Mandela. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, wow. Nelson Mandela. I mean, what a legendary figure and a man that did added so much to the world and brought so much knowledge and understanding and a man that really uh, brought about, tried his best to instill positive change in the world and had a genuine, real lasting legacy and impact. We only have a couple of minutes left. So this is the last question. What life lesson has travel taught you? Uh, I would say never judge a book by its cover. Don't take things for granted. Look, look a little deeper than try to go beyond the obvious and look a little deeper and explore, really explore a place. Um, sometimes we hear things about certain countries and you'll hear a country name or a place name and you have a certain image. If you've never been there, you'll have an image that comes to your mind right away. And quite often those images aren't fair. Um, take the time, open doors, explore and make up your own mind. Don't just take for granted. Don't just don't take, just don't believe everything on surface that somebody else tells you about a place. Go there and make up your own mind. That's it. Yeah. Neil Hodge, travel media rep for Tourism New Brunswick. I want to thank you so much for taking the time today, Neil, for uh, joining me on the Fact Up podcast today. Uh, I wish you and uh, and yours uh, continued health and happiness and all the best in your future endeavors. Good, sir. Thanks so much for having me on the show, Jim, and uh, all the best to all, all your uh, listeners and your audience out there. Thank you very much. And I'll add that to the viewers and, and, and listeners to the audience. Head to New Brunswick. Uh, you will not regret it. You will love it. And you might even buy a piece of property because you'll love it so much. Fair statement. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Neil. Take care. Thanks a lot, Jim.